Section 31 of Natural Theology by William Paley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 26 of the Goodness of the Deity, Part 4. Natural theology has ever been pressed with this question, why, under the regency of a supreme and benevolent will, should there be, in the world, so much as there is of the appearance of chance? The question in its whole compass lies beyond our reach, but there are not wanting, as in the origin of evil, answers which seem to have considerable weight in particular cases, and also to embrace a considerable number of cases. 1. There must be chance in the midst of design by which we mean that events which are not designed necessarily arise from the pursuit of events which are designed. One man traveling to York meets another man traveling to London. Their meeting is by chance, is accidental, and so would be called and reckoned, though the journeys which produced the meetings were, both of them, undertaken with design and from deliberation. The meeting, though accidental, was nevertheless hypothetically necessary, which is the only sort of necessity that is intelligible. For, if the two journeys were commenced at the time, pursued in the direction, and with the speed in which and with which they were in fact begun and performed, the meeting could not be avoided. There was not, therefore, the less necessity in it for its being by chance. Again, the rencounter might be most unfortunate, though the errands upon which each party set out upon his journey were the most innocent or the most laudable. The by-effect may be unfavorable without impeachment of the proper purpose for the sake of which the train, from the operation of which these consequences ensued, was put in motion. Although no cause act without a good purpose, accidental consequences like these may be either good or bad. 2. The appearance of chance will always bear a proportion to the ignorance of the observer. The cast of a die as regularly follows the laws of motion as the going of a watch, Yet, because we can trace the operation of those laws through the works and movements of the watch, and cannot trace them in the shaking and throwing of the die, though the laws be the same and prevail equally in both cases, we call the turning up of the number of the die chance, the pointing of the index of the watch, machinery, order, or by some name which excludes chance. It is the same in those events which depend upon the will of a free and rational agent. The verdict of a jury, the sentence of a judge, the resolution of an assembly, the issue of a contested election, will have more or less of the appearance of chance, might be more or less the subject of a wager, according as we were less or more acquainted with the reasons which influenced the deliberation. The difference resides in the information of the observer, and not in the thing itself, which, in all the cases proposed, proceeds from intelligence, from mind, from counsel, from design. Now, when this one cause of the appearance of chance viz. the ignorance of the observer, comes to be applied to the operations of the deity, it is easy to foresee how fruitful it must prove of difficulties and of seeming confusion. It is only to think of the deity, to perceive what variety of objects, what distance of time, what extent of space and action his counsels may, or rather must, comprehend. Can it be wondered at, that of the purposes which dwell in such a mind as this, so small a part should be known to us? It is only necessary, therefore, to bear in our thought that in proportion to the inadequateness of our information will be the quantity in the world of apparent chance. 3. In a great variety of cases, and of cases comprehending numerous subdivisions, it appears, for many reasons, to be better that events rise up by chance, or, more properly speaking, with the appearance of chance, than according to any observable rule whatever. 
This is not seldom the case even in human arrangements. Each person's place and precedency in a public meeting may be determined by lot. Work and labor may be allotted. Tasks and burthens may be allotted. Operanque laborum partibus aequibat justis aut sorte trahibat. Military service and station may be allotted. The distribution of provision may be made by lot, as it is in a sailor's mess. In some cases, also, the distribution of favors may be made by lot. In all these cases, it seems to be acknowledged that there are advantages in permitting events to chance superior to those which would or could arise from regulation. In all these cases, also, though events rise up in the way of chance, it is by appointment that they do so. In other events, and such as are independent of human will, the reasons for this preference of uncertainty to rule appear to be still stronger. For example, it seems to be expedient that the period of human life should be uncertain. Did mortality follow any fixed rule, it would produce a security in those that were at a distance from it, which would lead to the greatest disorders, and a horror in those who approached it similar to that which a condemned prisoner feels on the night before his execution. But, that death be uncertain, the young must sometimes die, as well as the old. Also, were deaths never sudden, they who are in health would be too confident of life. The strong and the active, who want most to be warned and checked, would live without apprehension or restraint. On the other hand, were sudden deaths very frequent, the sense of constant jeopardy would interfere too much with the degree of ease and enjoyment intended for us and human life be too precarious for the business and interests which belong to it. There could not be dependence either upon our own lives or the lives of those with whom we were connected, sufficient to carry on the regular offices of human society. The manner, therefore, in which death is made to occur, conduces to the purposes of admonition, without overthrowing the necessary stability of human affairs. Disease being the forerunner of death, there is the same reason for its attacks coming upon us under the appearance of chance, as there is for uncertainty in the time of death itself. The seasons are a mixture of regularity and chance. They are regular enough to authorize expectation, whilst their being in a considerable degree irregular induces on the part of the cultivators of the soil a necessity for personal attendance, for activity, vigilance, precaution. It is this necessity which creates farmers, which divides the profit of the soil between the owner and the occupier which, by requiring expedience, by increasing employment, and by rewarding expenditure, promotes agricultural arts and agricultural life, of all modes of life the best, being the most conducive to health, to virtue, to enjoyment. I believe it to be found, in fact, that where the soil is the most fruitful and the seasons the most constant, there the condition of the cultivators of the earth is the most depressed. Uncertainty, therefore, has its use even to those who sometimes complain of it the most. Seasons of scarcity themselves are not without their advantages. They call forth new exertions, they set contrivance and ingenuity at work, they give birth to improvements in agriculture and economy, they promote the investigation and management of public resources. Again, there are strong intelligible reasons why there should exist in human society great disparity of wealth and station, not only as these things are acquired in different degrees, but at the first setting out of life. In order, for instance, to answer the various demands of civil life, there ought to be amongst the members of every civil society a diversity of education, which can only belong to an original diversity of circumstances. As this sort of disparity, which ought to take place from the beginning of life, must, ex hypothesis, be previous to the merit or demerit of the persons upon whom it falls, 
Can it be better disposed of than by chance? Parentage is that sort of chance, yet it is the commanding circumstance which in general fixes each man's place in civil life, along with everything which appertains to its distinctions. It may be the result of a beneficial rule that the fortunes or honors of the father devolve upon the son, and, as it should seem, of a still more necessary rule, that the low or laborious condition of the parent be communicated to his family. But, with respect to the successor himself, it is the drawing of a ticket in a lottery. Inequalities, therefore, of fortune, at least the greatest part of them, viz. those which attend us from our birth, and depend upon our birth, may be left as they are left to chance, without any just cause for questioning the regency of a supreme disposer of events. But not only the donation, when by the necessity of the case they must be gifts, but even the acquirability of civil advantages ought perhaps, in a considerable degree, to lie at the mercy of chance. Some would have all the virtuous rich, or at least removed from the evils of poverty, without perceiving, I suppose, the consequence that all the poor must be wicked. And how such a society could be kept in subjection to government has not been shown. For the poor, that is, they who seek their subsistence by constant manual labor, must still form the mass of the community. Otherwise, the necessary labor of life could not be carried on. The work would not be done which the wants of mankind in a state of civilization, and still more in a state of refinement, require to be done. It appears to be also true that the exigencies of social life call not only for an original diversity of external circumstances, but for a mixture of different faculties, tastes, and tempers. Activity and contemplation, restlessness and quiet, courage and timidity, ambition and contentedness, not to say even indolence and dullness, are all wanted in the world, all conduce to the well-going on of human affairs, just as the rudder, the sails, and the ballast of a ship all perform their part in the navigation. Now, since these characters require for their foundation different original talents, different dispositions, perhaps also different bodily constitutions, and since, likewise, it is apparently expedient that they be promiscuously scattered amongst the different classes of society, can the distribution of talents, dispositions, and the constitutions upon which they depend be better made than by chance? The opposites of apparent chance are constancy and sensible interposition, every degree of secret direction being consistent with it. Now, of constancy, or of fixed and known rules, we have seen in some cases the inapplicability, and inconveniences which we do not see might attend their application in other cases. Of sensible interposition, we may be permitted to remark that a providence, always and certainly distinguishable, would be neither more nor less than miracles rendered frequent and common. It is difficult to judge of the state into which this would throw us. It is enough to say that it would cast us upon a quite different dispensation from that under which we live. It would be a total and radical change, and the change would deeply affect, or perhaps subvert, the whole conduct of human affairs. I can readily believe that, other circumstances being adapted to it, such a state might be better than our present state. It may be the state of other beings. It may be ours hereafter. But the question with which we are now concerned is, how far it would be consistent with our condition, supposing it in other respects to remain as it is. And in this question there seem to be reasons of great moment on the negative side. For instance, so long as bodily labor continues on so many accounts to be necessary for the bulk of mankind, any dependency upon supernatural aid, by unfixing those motives which promote exertion, or by relaxing those habits which engender patient industry, might introduce negligence, inactivity, and disorder into the most useful occupations of human life, 
and thereby deteriorate the condition of human life itself. As moral agents, we should experience a still greater alteration, of which more will be said under the next article. Although, therefore, the deity, who possesses the power of winding and turning as he pleases, the course of causes which issue from himself, do in fact interpose to alter or intercept effects which without such interposition would have taken place, yet is it by no means incredible that his providence, which always rests upon final good, may have made a reserve with respect to the manifestation of his interference, a part of the very plan which he has appointed for our terrestrial existence, and a part conformable with, or in some sort required by, other parts of the same plan. It is at any rate evident that a large and ample province remains for the exercise of providence, without its being naturally perceptible by us, because obscurity, when applied to the interruption of laws, bears a necessary proportion to the imperfection of our knowledge when applied to the laws themselves, or rather to the effects which these laws, under their various and incalculable combinations, would of their own accord produce. And if it be said that the doctrine of divine providence, by reason of the ambiguity under which its exertions present themselves, can be attended with no practical influence upon our conduct, that although we believe ever so firmly that there is a providence, we must prepare and provide and act as if there were none. I answer that this is admitted, and that we further allege that so to prepare and so to provide is consistent with the most perfect assurance of the reality of a providence, and not only so, but that it is, probably, one advantage of the present state of our information, that our provisions and preparations are not disturbed by it. Or, if it be still asked, of what use at all, then, is the doctrine, if it neither alter our measures nor regulate our conduct? I answer again that it is of the greatest use but that it is a doctrine of sentiment and piety, not, immediately at least, of action or conduct, that it applies to the consolation of men's minds, to their devotions, to the excitement of gratitude, the support of patience, the keeping alive and the strengthening of every motive for endeavouring to please our Maker, and that these are great uses. Of all views under which human life has ever been considered, the most reasonable, in my judgment, is that which regards it as a state of probation. If the course of the world were separated from the contrivances of nature, I do not know that it would be necessary to look for any other account of it than what, if it may be called an account, is contained in the answer that events rise up by chance. But since the contrivances of nature decidedly evince intention, and since the course of the world and the contrivances of nature have the same author, we are, by the force of this connection, led to believe that the appearance under which events take place is reconcilable with the supposition of design on the part of the deity. It is enough that they be reconcilable with this supposition, and it is undoubtedly true that they may be reconcilable, though we cannot reconcile them. The mind, however, which contemplates the works of nature, and, in those works, sees so much of means directed to ends, of beneficial effects brought about by wise expedients, of concerted trains of causes terminating in the happiest results, so much in a word of counsel, intention, and benevolence, a mind, I say, drawn into the habit of thought which these observations excite, can hardly turn its view to the condition of our own species without endeavouring to suggest to itself some purpose, some design, for which the state in which we are placed is fitted, and which it is made to serve. Now we assert the most probable supposition to be that it is a state of moral probation, and that many things in it suit with this hypothesis, which suit with no other. It is not a state of unmixed happiness, or of happiness simply, it is not a state of designed misery, or of misery simply. It is not a state of retribution. It is not a state of punishment. It suits with none of these suppositions. 
it accords much better with the idea of its being a condition calculated for the production exercise and improvement of moral qualities with a view to a future state in which these qualities after being so produced exercised and improved may by a new and more favouring constitution of things receive their reward or become their own if it be said that this is to enter upon a religious rather than a philosophical consideration i answer that the name of religion ought to form no objection if it shall turn out to be the case that the more religious our views are the more probability they contain the degree of beneficence of benevolent intention and of power exercised in the construction of sensitive beings goes strongly in favour not only of a creative but of a continuing care that is of a ruling providence the degree of chance which appears to prevail in the world requires to be reconciled with this hypothesis now it is one thing to maintain the doctrine of providence along with that of a future state and another thing without it in my opinion the two doctrines must stand or fall together for although more of this apparent chance may perhaps upon other principles be accounted for than is generally supposed yet a future state alone rectifies all disorders and if it can be shown that the appearance of disorder is consistent with the uses of life as a preparatory state or that in some respects it promotes these uses then so far as this hypothesis may be accepted the ground of the difficulty is done away in the wide scale of human condition there is not perhaps one of its manifold diversities which does not bear upon the design here suggested virtue is infinitely various there is no situation in which a rational being is placed from that of the best instructed christian down to the condition of the rudest barbarian which affords not room for moral agency for the acquisition exercise and display of voluntary qualities good and bad health and sickness enjoyment and suffering riches and poverty knowledge and ignorance power and subjection liberty and bondage civilization and barbarity have all their offices and duties all serve for the formation of character for when we speak of a state of trial it must be remembered that characters are not only tried or proved or detected but that they are generated also and formed by circumstances the best dispositions may subsist under the most depressed the most afflicted fortunes a west indian slave who amidst his wrongs retains his benevolence i for my part look upon as amongst the foremost of human candidates for the rewards of virtue the kind master of such a slave that is he who in the exercise of an inordinate authority postpones in any degree his own interest to his slave's comfort is likewise a meritorious character but still he is inferior to his slave all however which i contend for is that these destinies opposite as they may be in every other view are both trials and equally such the observation may be applied to every other condition to the whole range of the scale not excepting even its lowest extremity savages appear to us all alike but it is owing to the distance at which we view savage life that we perceive in it no discrimination of character i make no doubt but that moral qualities both good and bad are called into action as much and that they subsist in as great variety in these inartificial societies as they are or do in polished life certain at least it is that the good and ill treatment which each individual meets with depends more upon the choice and voluntary conduct of those about him than it does or ought to do under regular civil institutions and the coercion of public laws so again to turn our eyes to the other end of the scale namely that part of it which is occupied by mankind enjoying the benefits of learning together with the lights of revelation there also the advantage is all along probationary christianity itself i mean the revelation of christianity 
is not only a blessing but a trial it is one of the diversified means by which the character is exercised and they who require of christianity that the revelation of it should be universal may possibly be found to require that one species of probation should be adopted if not to the exclusion of others at least to the narrowing of that variety which the wisdom of the deity hath appointed to this part of his moral economy footnote the reader will observe that i speak of the revelation of christianity as distinct from christianity itself the dispensation may already be universal that part of mankind which never heard of christ's name may nevertheless be redeemed that is be placed in a better condition with respect to their future state by his intervention may be the objects of his benignity and intercession as well as of the propitiatory virtue of his passion but this is not natural theology therefore i will not dwell longer upon it End of footnote. Now, if this supposition be well-founded, that is, if it be true that our ultimate or our most permanent happiness will depend not upon the temporary condition into which we are cast, but upon our behavior in it, then is it a much more fit subject of chance than we usually allow or apprehend it to be, in what manner the variety of external circumstances which subsist in the human world is distributed amongst the individuals of the species. This life being a state of probation, it is immaterial, says Rousseau, quote, what kinds of trials we experience in it, provided they produce their effects. Of two agents who stand indifferent to the moral governor of the universe, one may be exercised by riches, the other by poverty. The treatment of these two shall appear to be very opposite, whilst in truth it is the same. For though in many respects there be great disparity between the conditions assigned, in one main article there may be none, viz., in that they are alike trials, have both their duties and temptations, not less arduous or less dangerous in one case than the other, so that, if the final award follow the character, the original distribution of the circumstances under which that character is formed may be defended upon principles not only of justice but of equality. What hinders, therefore, but that mankind may draw lots for their condition? They take their portion of faculties and opportunities as any unknown cause or concourse of causes or as causes acting for other purposes may happen to set them out but the event is governed by that which depends upon themselves the application of what they have received in dividing the talents no rule was observed none was necessary in rewarding the use of them that of the most correct justice the chief difference at last appears to be that the right use of more talents i e of a greater trust will be more highly rewarded than the right use of fewer talents, i.e. of a less trust. And since, for other purposes, it is expedient that there be an inequality of concredited talents here, as well probably as an inequality of conditions hereafter, though all remuneratory, can any rule adapted to that inequality be more agreeable, even to our apprehensions of distributive justice, than this is? We have said that the appearance of casualty, which attends the occurrences and events of life, not only does not interfere with its uses as a state of probation but that it promotes these uses passive virtues of all others the severest and the most sublime of all others perhaps the most acceptable to the deity would it is evident be excluded from a constitution in which happiness and misery regularly followed virtue and vice patience and composure under distress affliction and pain a steadfast keeping up of our confidence in god and of our reliance upon his final goodness at the time when everything present is adverse and discouraging, and, what is no less difficult to retain, a cordial desire for the happiness of others, even when we are deprived of our own, 
these dispositions which constitute perhaps the perfection of our moral nature would not have found their proper office and object in a state of avowed retribution and in which consequently endurance of evil would be only submission to punishment again one man's sufferings may be another man's trial the family of a sick parent is a school of filial piety the charities of domestic life and not only these but all the social virtues are called out by distress but then misery to be the proper object of mitigation or of that benevolence which endeavors to relieve must be really or apparently casual it is upon such sufferings alone that benevolence can operate for were there no evils in the world but what were punishments properly and intelligibly such benevolence would only stand in the way of justice such evils consistently with the administration of moral government could not be prevented or alleviated that is to say could not be remitted in whole or in part except by the authority which inflicted them or by an appellate or superior authority this consideration which is founded in our most acknowledged apprehensions of the nature of penal justice may possess its weight in the divine counsels virtue perhaps is the greatest of all ends in human beings relative virtues form a large part of the whole now relative virtue presupposes not only the existence of evil without which it could have no object no material to work upon but that evils be apparently at least misfortunes that is the effects of apparent chance it may be in pursuance therefore and in furtherance of the same scheme of probation that the evils of life are made so to present themselves i have already observed that when we let in religious considerations we often let in light upon the difficulties of nature so in the fact now to be accounted for the degree of happiness which we usually enjoy in this life may be better suited to a state of trial and probation than a greater degree would be the truth is we are rather too much delighted with the world than too little imperfect broken and precarious as our pleasures are they are more than sufficient to attach us to the eager pursuit of them a regard to a future state can hardly keep its place as it is if we were designed therefore to be influenced by that regard might not a more indulgent system a higher or more uninterrupted state of gratification have interfered with the design at least it seems expedient that mankind should be susceptible of this influence when presented to them that the condition of the world should not be such as to exclude its operation or even to weaken it more than it does in a religious view however we may complain of them in every other privation disappointment and satiety are not without the most salutary tendencies End of section 31.